Welcome to episode four of the Engagement Does Matter podcast. I am super excited today to share something with you that um, is going to be a first time for Engagement Does Matter. Along with some friends of mine, Victoria Salvit, Shasta Looper, and Sloan Joseph, I'm bringing to you Ed Camp Church. So as you already know, I'm part of Ed Camp Greenville, which is basically an Ed Camp organization in upstate of South Carolina, and we come together every year and put on professional development to celebrate and encourage teachers to help them make it through the year. Um, and several of us have gotten together and decided to start podcasts. Well, we joined each other um, this week on Tuesday, um, February 20. 20- Sixth, and um, sat down at Blythe Academy where Victoria is an instructional coach and Shasta teaches fourth grade. And we got together and just decided to talk. Uh, that's what we do so often. We use the Marco Polo app to um, share our PLN um, from day to day. And we just decided to sit down with each other and talk about some of the things that were on our mind. Um, so we like to call it Ed Camp Church. And in order to bring that to you, I decided to mash this up with um, one of my blog posts that I entitled Work It Out. I'm not able to share that song with you because of copyright laws, but um, it is by uh, Charisma, and that song actually samples a tune called Jesus Can Work It Out, which was originally produced by uh, Dr. Charles G. Hayes. It's a gospel song, and um, I'm going to share the original version of that song, and then I'm also going to share a different track um, that is electronic dance music, um, and it is by a group called Afaya, and it is also called Work It Out. So um, two really good tunes for you today, and um, some Ed Camp Church. So since it's Sunday, we're just going to get down to it. Um, We're going to work it out with my friends, Shasta, Victoria, and Sloan, and also with some great music. So stay tuned. Hey guys. All right. We're here with Ed Camp team. It's Victoria here. Shasta. And Hamilton. And Sloan. And we're super excited to come together to actually talk and just have this organic conversation. We're kind of like, what are we talking about? But you know what? It usually turns out into something pretty awesome. So um, I thought, you know, these guys really helped me take care of my brain and just the things that we talk about. And um, they're just a really great support, a great personal learning network. Any thoughts, guys? So for those of you that are not educators, a personal learning network or a personal learning community is just a group of people that have like a common goal. And so our common goal is education in general, whether it's supporting teachers, students, parents, um, changing what um, is considered traditional education and stepping outside of the box. We each do it differently, but we're all working together with the same goal. And I think this is a really authentic PLN because we come together by choice. We are not forced. Right. And so typically your PLN or PLC happens within your school building. And um, we come from all parts of the upstate of South Carolina. And 
Y'all put me on the spot, so of course it's going to be difficult for me to to chime in. <laughs> but um, I think that um, I think that the one of the best parts about it is our diversity, and that we do come from so many different areas, and that we touch different um, different sectors in education. We've got support staff, we've got administration. This afternoon, we are going to go and um, support one of our teammates who is going to be named Principal, so that's super exciting. Shout out to Leah Stafford. Um, But we've got people in um, various districts, and it just gives us a different type of perspective when we are um, looking at education as a whole, but we get to see it through so many different lenses. And I think like what's really neat about us is that um, we get what we're all going through because of education. Mm-hmm. But again, right. like you said, it's different lenses. So I might think one way, but somebody has a different experience. Um, and then it makes me go, it's that aha moment that I've never even thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, you know, Sloan, you guys, you always have, I cannot wait, just a little shout out. You might hear this podcast in like a later podcast of hers. It's coming, it's coming. But we're super excited for hers. Um, so I, I really appreciate your, your wisdom there. Um, so I want to ask you guys what you think about... I'll give you a scenario. Let's say that somebody... Um, Let's say that a child does something in your classroom and um, they actually have a pattern of doing this in the classroom. And um, over time, you kind of um, create a mindset for what that child is, what you come to expect from that child. This could happen um, with, um, with anybody. It could happen with um, a politician who did something in the past and now they have to answer for what they might um, have believed in in the past. Maybe something has changed now. So when do we, how long do you allow somebody to, um, I almost want to say suffer for the choices that they once made if time has come and gone and Um, there might be a change that has come in that individual. So I think about myself as a teacher. I am not the same person in the classroom that I was now in comparison to who I was before I had my son. That changed me. That made me see things differently. Um, When I first had my son, my husband was in grad school in a different state. And so during the week, it was just me and my son. That changed my perspective on the struggle Mm. of a single parent because at least I had somebody coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to relieve me of those motherly duties for me to do things personally. Mm -hmm. But I started to think even deeper, even though both of my sisters were single moms, sometimes you don't have to go in it. You you can't understand it completely until you're in it. Mm What about those single moms that have no relief? You know what I'm saying? So I, I, that changed the way that I facilitated PD, how I treated children, how I treated parents. And if someone were to judge me today, I've been in this 
in education for 16 years, if someone were to, ed- to continue to remind me of who I was my first year teaching and the mistakes I made and the comments that I made and my attitude towards kids that were difficult and mm-hmm. parents that weren't very nice to me, if you judge me based on that, then I would not be on. I would not be doing this podcast. I would not be on Ed Camp Greenville. I would not be in a leadership position. But what I will say is that those mistakes have not been consistently made over that time period. I have changed, and my reputation has shown that I've changed. So I think that I should be relieved of that. If I still did those same things over and over mm-hmm. and had a pattern, but kept apologizing, that's something totally different. That's and we different. see that all the time. I think you said something important, that consistent change. It's so right. You consistently see a child making an effort to make a, or not even just a child, anyone, to consistently and intentionally make an effort to change a behavior. Mm-hmm. You have to give grace. Mm-hmm. And... I think too often we, I mean, I've been guilty of it early in my career too, that we make an assumption that just because a child has consistently made these bad decisions, that they're going to consistently do that. So are we giving them room to grow out of that? And are we giving them the tools to grow out of it? Or are we just expecting them to grow out of it on their own? That's good. I think of myself as an educator too, and just kind of popping off of what you're saying, Sloan, that I actually feel like I'm a, I hope to think that I'm a better coach because of the mistakes that I've made. Mm-hmm. Because I can mm-hmm. go to teachers and I can remember the things that I've done wrong and say, I'm with you. Like, I get it. I know why you might not have thought this way. Um, but let's do it together the right way. And I always I always think back to that. Like, where was I from? What, where were my beginnings? As a first-year teacher, management was a hot mess for me. I mean, I remember, I clearly Hot remember. Hot mess express. Yes. Clearly remember those five-year-olds running around the room, literally climbing the walls. I had nine-year-olds running around the room climbing the walls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I didn't really get it till my principal was like, so I think we need to work on classroom management. But actually, even still then, I think it took a while for, for it really to sink in, but... You know, just that process is... But, you know, I think it's one thing, and we've said this a couple times, um, not on the podcast, but today in our polos, Mm -hmm. um, that when you know better, you do better. And I think one thing that we fail to understand, you know, in talking about, you know, whether we're talking about adults or children... Or parents. Or parents. We have to give a, a little bit of grace to whether or not they do know better. And I feel like sometimes, especially with children... We don't allow our we don't we don't take the opportunity to teach them in order to allow them to know better. That's right. Some and so many of our kids come from different homes. Like I, I think we had a conversation on Marco Polo um, with Kelly talking about moving down here from the north and how um, she didn't have her kids say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Right. And, you know, we're in the deep south, and you know me. Being from here, like, I knew no other way. And so I would have got backhanded if I said (laughs) something different. Um, But, you know, she she learned and had to assimilate. And even though it's not something that's cultural, culturally accepted necessarily in her house, her kids do it now because they know better, you know. And so when you have that expectation and you have that lesson, 
and you give kids or you give anyone the opportunity to grow, and that's what we're all here for, um, then you can have that sort of expectation. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to manage those expectations because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm at the elementary level and I cannot put adult expectations on my fourth grade students. So I can't expect so them to act like a mature, responsible student that does their homework and doesn't backtalk or doesn't have a moment where they they lose sight of what they're supposed to be doing because they're nine. Mm-hmm. And so I have to keep that at the forefront of my mind, um, that these are kids and kids don't know how to do some of the things that we expect as adults for them to know how to do. And I think it does go back to that, you know, how are you raised? Mm-hmm. Not every child is coming from a home that shows respect or not every child comes from a home that is quiet and mm-hmm. whispers. Um, some of our kids are coming from loud homes or chaotic homes and I think some of our teachers do too so Mm -hmm. even the way that our teachers interact Mm -hmm. is part of how they've experienced life that's a good segue into us talking about what is considered the standard we talked about that when we were talking about GT programs how do you determine what the standard is when you're determining if a child is gifted or not gifted? And if they're gifted in one area, does that mean they must be gifted in all areas? So just because person A, their family lives in a particular way, is that the standard for everybody? Doesn't that take away the individuality and the authenticity of other people. Because what's normal for me, I have is three of us in my family. Um, I'm the middle child. And then my mom and my dad. And then I have two nieces. Where you're talking about until I had my son and my younger sister had her son. It was just a bunch of females. And my dad is just trying to survive, right? In the house. <laughs> right. But as females, we're just talking over each other and just loud and squealy or, you know, and just having a good time and getting all excited about the simplest of things. But if we were, like, if I was raised around a bunch of boys, it might mm-hmm. be kind of different. Mm-hmm. Because there's a different standard. There's just a different way. Mm-hmm. It's not saying that the way that I was raised was right or wrong versus the way someone else was raised is right or wrong. It's just, it's different. And so when talking about, like, um, when we're talking about GT or classroom management or what engagement looks like or taking care of your whole self, you like to run, mm-hmm. me not so much, <laughs> right? So it's like give people the opportunity to be who they are and just sit, listen, and try to understand. And that'll help you in your interaction with them so that it doesn't seem so contentious. You don't have to act, don't act like you're the standard for everything. Mm-hmm. People may do it differently. Mm-hmm. Don't say that it's wrong. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> so I was just thinking, just because it. somebody does it differently than you doesn't mean it's the wrong answer. Right? I mean, but isn't that what? Isn't that what we we te- we try to teach kids all the time? And like, but yet it's so difficult sometimes as adults. We we look past it as adults. Like we, I have this way, my way or the highway. <clears throat> Even, um, I'm thinking about like certain teachers in the way they run their classrooms like 
um, you can't run your classroom the way you run your home. Right. <laughs> Shasta, the That's way that a good one. the way that you said you know, when you said I can't expect certain things from my fourth graders because they're fourth graders. Well, if your child just you know, I don't know. If your child is um, behaves one way, you can't expect. 20, 20 other children to behave exactly like your child, and you can't raise them to be, you know, your child. Um, we all mm-hmm. come from different perspectives. Um, That's good. It's I, a, think, I mean, you've got 20 different personalities in a classroom, mm-hmm. and so we cannot make them all cookie cutter. Where would the fun be in that? We definitely wouldn't be sitting around the table if we were all cookie cutter. And that's the thing. <laughs> Maybe somebody's really not trying to have fun. That's not their... That's not their goal every day. It's just to check boxes. They're, mm. not, they're not. They're not. They don't that want. Sounds like keep. a whole new podcast. She's speaking down to my shanana right now. <laughs> 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 but like, I don't. We. Why would this? Like, this is a whole other topic. Why would these kids grow up and want to be educators when not, when we don't make it fun? Engagement like, does matter. It, engagement <laughs> does matter. And there's more than one way for, for kids to be engaged. So mm-hmm. just, let's talk, you know, education out of it. Entertainment may be, this person over here plays an instrument. This person over here likes to watch movies. This person like over here likes board games. This person over here likes video games. Like. It's all entertainment. It's all entertainment. Mm-hmm. And again, we do it in our adult life. So why don't we do that in our classrooms and you know that reminds me of you know it kind of brings me back to knowing your students and and having relationships and taking the time to sit down and have conversations about things that matter to them right and giving um and I feel like sometimes we say giving interest inventories that's so like white bread it's just Mm -hmm. kind of boring like don't give them interest inventories like sit down with them and say what did you do this weekend like right have actually get to know them. get to know them don't give them a little worksheet and say would you rather go outside and do this or would you rather sit inside and do this yeah (laughs) i mean i'm sorry if that offends anybody but i can't see it right now but i'm dying (laughs) laughing like i've thrown my hand back and my eyes are closed See, I know one thing that really changed things for me in my classroom this year. Um, Victoria, you may have seen it. I d- at our school, we have the head chair at the cafeteria table where all the teachers sit, the head chair, kids are on the side, and I'm sitting in the middle of my class to have conversations mm-hmm. with my kids. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that I have six children who like to pray before their meal at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. See? And I love I've that. got kids that are talking that about that. their families or their little sisters keeping them up at night. And so sitting in the middle of your kids is way different than giving an interest inventory. Yeah, and it's so, it's so simple. It's not something that you have to like take time to do. It's just you're going to have to eat. You might as well sit with them, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I would like to, though, I would like to say that I would love for elementary teachers to have more of an opportunity to have a duty-free lunch. Duty-free lunch. Um, it, it makes me sad. I've done, I did three years in elementary school, and it's stressful at every level. Let me make that clear. I've done middle school, high school, elementary school. It's just a different level of stress. However, in middle school, high school, I may have you for an hour, an hour and a half, 
maybe for a semester and then it's over. But elementary school is another beast because it's never over. It's never <laughs> over All until it's long. over. <laughs> and in some schools, if the related arts teacher isn't there, I they don't get a to sub. Rewind that podcast and just press play again, and just rewind it, and then press play again. over and over and over. <laughs> if there's no substitute teacher to cover your related arts, you may not have related arts. So there, you're literally talking about a teacher being with the child from eight a.m. to maybe one thirty, one forty-five. That's my Friday. Every day. And there's there's no there's no break for lunch. If it's raining outside, there's indoor recess. Ooh. If the related arts Last teacher week. is you know no one picks up that job for that sub, uh-huh. then they the teacher has to take that. And let's be honest, how many parents are spending that much time with their child uninterrupted? Well, you're right. Mm-hmm. And is that healthy for the kids? And the teachers, just the structure of that. Hmm. I'm not recording mine because Hamilton went straight in and I loved it, but I was like, oh, I'm still recording. I'm still recording too. To go along with this episode where I have Ed Camp Church with some of my friends. I've decided to add one of my blog posts that talks about working together and collaborating, just as I did with these three ladies. The original song that I used in order to write this blog post was called Work It Out, which was produced by DJ Charisma. And as I said before, it features a track from Charles G. Hayes and the Cosmopolitan House of Prayer from 1980. I'm unable to share that track with you here on the podcast, but I found another Work It Out tune that is also electronic dance music. This is Work It Out by Afaya. While it doesn't sample the gospel track that I shared just before, it still has the same words, Work It Out. So here is Afaya with Work It Out, and then I'll head into the blog post, Work It Out, which was originally written in order to feature Charisma's Work It Out. I love this song. This is the essence of electronic dance music, being able to take music that sometimes already exists and then building on it with exaggerated electronic elements and technology to create something that evokes a different perspective than it originally did. In a way, isn't that what we want our kids to do with the knowledge we impart to them and through classroom discussions? How better to create academic synergy than with collaborative learning? Take this track, for example. The original track that is sampled throughout is Jesus Can Work It Out, a live recording of Dr. Charles Hayes in the Cosmopolitan Church of Prayer from 1980. DJ producer Charisma boldly took this track and blasted it into the mainstream dance charts 37 years later with the use of some drum beats and scratching, and now Google has used it to sell thousands of Chromebooks. Now, if that isn't some next-level collaboration, I don't know what is. This is the same thing kids should be doing in classrooms regularly. 
Students should be sharing thoughts and making connections with and from each other to expound on their knowledge. Below are three reasons why this is so important and effective. One, collaboration develops higher thinking skills. When kids are tasked with communicating, they are required to articulate their thoughts in multiple ways in order to make statements and validate their suggestions. They often meet opposing viewpoints that can make them think differently or rethink an idea they have. Two, collaboration develops diversity awareness. Much like the genres of Jesus can work it out and work it out, no two students are the same. When they are tasked to communicate together, varying viewpoints are shared which opens up dialogue and understanding about different lifestyles, backgrounds, and cultures. This is the most important this is most important in the era of 21st century learning as educational institutions are being charged with promoting and acknowledging diversity amongst learners. Furthermore, this type of learning develops the whole child, not just students' academic knowledge. Three, collaboration engages all students. It's difficult to collaborate alone. And that's how many students view themselves within our classrooms. Singled out, their only advocate, just a number. When we provide opportunities for them to learn with peers, they don't have to be afraid of talking in front of the whole class, and they're empowered to speak up. Similarly, those same students who don't contribute much can't slink away as easily in smaller working groups. The dynamics of collaborative learning require all group members to pull their own weight to glean the benefits of the discussion. These are just a few of many reasons why students should be working it out collaboratively. From students' first day of kindergarten to their eventual retirement day as, result, as adults, the world is going to expect them to be contributing collaborators. It's only right that we assist our students in mastering this important life skill in our classrooms where they can reap the academic benefits as well. I really hope you enjoyed Work It Out, which features Afaya. Make sure that you go and check out engagementdoesmatter.com and click on the link that talks about Work It Out featuring Charisma. While you're checking certain things out, make sure you also check out my friends and their podcasts. You can catch Shasta Looper at The Teacher's Loop, Victoria Salvat at hashtag ThatAsianIC, and Sloan Joseph at GreaterIsInMe. All of these podcasts are part of a podcast series that we like to call hashtag Yeah That Ed Camp Podcast. Make sure you're checking out everything Ed Camp on Twitter at EdCampGville. And then also check me out on Twitter at HamiltonPark17. You can also follow Engagement Does Matter on Instagram at Engagement Does Matter. We'll catch you next time on the Engagement Does Matter podcast.